Today on Blue 58, the Packers gave us a good example of how valuable running backs can be in 2023, but no position group has a murkier outlook for 2024. How will the Packers running backs shake out over the next few months? Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I'm happy to be with you here for another episode. I'm excited to talk running backs today because there are a few positions that feel more like football to me than the running backs. It's an easy position to to get excited about. It's an easy position to see the impact of, if we can end a sentence with a preposition there, I guess it didn't, but close enough. It's an exciting position, and I've always, always loved running backs. Back when I first started playing football in junior high, I harbored dreams of being a great running back because, I mean, you watch the great ones play, and you just it's easy to project yourself into that role. You can pretend to be a quarterback. You can pretend to be a running back a lot easier than you can pretend to be, say, a great defensive back or something like that, so... Young me always wanted to be a running back. We'll get to running backs here in a second. I wanted to talk about the Super Bowl for a second here before we talk about Packers-specific stuff. I didn't watch the whole game, uh, but I tuned in apparently right for the, uh, the the really crucial parts of the game. The first play of the game I actually was able to see was the 49ers' uh, third down, third and four play right after the two-minute warning. From there, of course, the Chiefs kind of take over, end up winning in overtime. An exciting finish to what overall seemed like a relatively unexciting game. Excited if your team is involved, but in terms of the great Super Bowls in history, I don't think this is going to be remembered as one of them. But my big thought coming away from the Super Bowl is that a lot of football strategy can really be summarized by the idea that you're just trying to solve problems by gathering as much information as possible or having as much information as possible at your disposal before you have to make real decisions. The decision the 49ers made to start overtime is what got me thinking along these lines. And now I've kind of been fascinated by this for almost two days now to the point that I'm starting to wonder if every single thing in football isn't just an information problem. So the 49ers choose to take the ball first to start overtime. And analytically, that's more sound than I would have guessed. I would have thought that having the ball second would be a a distinct statistical advantage, but actually there's just an ever so slight edge to having the ball first. But even if it doesn't change your win percentage that much, I think Kansas City comes out with an advantage here because they just have more information than San Francisco does by the time they finally get the ball. Because when Kansas City takes over, they know exactly what they have to do and can play differently as a result. And we see a very practical example of how this works on the 49ers' first drive in overtime. They get down into San Francisco territory, and they end up facing a fourth, and I believe it's four, in Kansas City territory. They ultimately elect to kick, Forcing the forty, or forcing the Chiefs to either match or you know give them the opportunity to go ahead with the touchdown, or San Francisco can win by by stopping Kansas City there. If San Francisco knows that Kansas City is going to score a touchdown, they can go for it on fourth and prevent them from doing that. But maybe get a touchdown themselves, maybe just get a better shot at a at a field goal, maybe even 
you know, you go for it and get stopped. San Francisco has to drive a long way. Maybe you just get the ball back and then you can go down and score. Then whatever score happens wins the game. But they didn't know what Kansas City was going to do and had to kick as a result. Their lack of information changed their decision-making process. But as you pull on this thread a little bit more, I think there are more examples of football essentially just being about information. Look at the the Chiefs' game-winning touchdown for for one example there. They've got, I think, what amounts to trips on the right side of the formation, but McCole Hardman is, eventually, or is initially out much wider. He motions inside, so he goes from being the far outside guy in that formation to inside, but then he ends up running a route to the flat. And Tony Romo actually explained it pretty well on the broadcast there, even if he jumped over the, the exciting moment of the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl a little bit. But he, he explained pretty quickly and concisely that what's happening on that play is Hardman's motion changed the responsibilities of the defensive back on that side of the field if they're in man-to-man coverage, and it turned out that they were. So he's now got to take the outside man on the formation because Hardman motioned inside, but Hardman ends up being the outside guy on the actual route, and there's nobody there to cover him because the guy is just following the rules. So, of course, Patrick Mahomes knows all this. He knows that if they motion a guy in a certain way, if they respond in a certain way, he knows the coverage that they have, and he knows that Hardman's going to be open. He makes the play and does it. There are many, many examples of how motion identifies things for opposing quarterbacks or allows defenses to to respond, and, and then the offense knows what they're going to do. But that's information gathering too. You see this a lot in um, the way that coverages work uh, with the middle of field open and middle of field closed stuff, uh, pre-snap and post-snap. One of the defensive trends in the league right now is to show one look prior to the ball being snapped and then you rotate into a different thing post-snap. So a good example is cover two, like we talked about a couple episodes ago. You show pre-snap that you've got two safeties deep. The quarterback sits there and thinks, okay, we're in cover two here. There's going to be two safeties deep. But then after the snap of the ball, one of those safeties drops down. Suddenly you're in a single high look, maybe with two, two cornerbacks going deep on the outside. You're in a cover three look or something like that. You go very quickly from middle of the field open to middle of the field closed. That's a change in the information that you have available. And a big part of the reason that that happens in the NFL now is because of a lot of the the play action that's prominent in these Shanahan tree offenses. If you are running play action, there's a part of the time when you have the ball as a quarterback where you have your back to the line of scrimmage and thus you're back to the secondary as well. If you get post-snap motion as you're carrying out that play-action fake, suddenly you turn back to look downfield and things look completely different than you thought they did pre-snap. Suddenly you thought they were going to be in a two-deep look. It's suddenly a one-deep or three-deep kind of look. That is all about information and changing how you how you gather and process information. Look at the draft. Having more draft picks lets you offset your lack of information on these prospects. We've cited again and again this economic study about how um, general managers and front offices essentially have about a 50-50 hit rate in determining whether one guy that they pick at a given position is going to be better than the next guy off the board at that same position. You just don't have that high of a hit rate, and if you're if you're going better than that, you are a, a fantastic GM, but it's a fa- essentially a coin flip whether one wide receiver you take at, say, pick number 50 is better than the next wide receiver who went off the board after him. It just 
generally speaking, is is about a coin flip. But having more draft picks lets you offset that lack of information a little bit by just hedging your bets. What is my point in all this? I just want to say that this is worth remembering, that a lot of football just comes down to gathering and acting on information And having more information is almost always going to be a good thing. We talk about good process versus bad process. Gathering information and being able to put it into play is good process in action. That's not to say it's always going to work out. Sometimes you get unlucky. Sometimes you have all the right information and you throw a bad pass or your wide receiver trips on his route or the ball just slips out of your hand or something like that or you know, you draft a guy given, you know, using all the information you, you have, you you trade back to accumulate more picks, and he just doesn't work out for whatever reason. Maybe he gets injured. Maybe he just isn't, he's he's on the wrong side of that 50-50 split. The point is that, that gathering information appropriately and acting on it correctly is going to pay off more often than not. And I think in the Super Bowl, we saw some examples of how information gathering can really pay off for you. Now let's talk about a little information on running backs. The Packers running back group is, I think, an oddly tough one to talk about. There are hard numbers that you can point to that show what they did. There are overall analytic trends that show that maybe this year was an outlier in terms of the impact the Packers running backs had. And then there's a bunch of soft skill sort of things that show that even if these guys you know, didn't perform on the field start to finish in the season, there's a lot of value to having certain players on your team. Like I said up top, I love running backs. I love thinking about running backs, and I am fascinated by them, even in our current analytics-driven environment that shows that maybe they are not as valuable as they once were. Even if you are, like me, pretty optimistic about the value of a running back, I think we can all agree that the, the the value of a running back now is different than it was, say, 30 years ago. The game is just changed. Uh, the, there There is just so much different stuff going on in the league in 2024 than there was in 1994. A guy who was your, your lead back in 1994 might get 350, 400 carries three, four, five years in a row and that could still be valuable because of how the 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 meta game of the league was set up. Now, if you're running a guy 400 times in the season, it's probably his last season with your team, or at the very least, his last year as an effective running back. Guys are wearing down so much more quickly, and we understand the difference between a between a guy who's an elite running back and a guy who's nearly an elite running back is maybe not all that much. That's not to say that having an elite one isn't a good thing for your football team, but you can probably get by with a guy who's almost elite and still be almost as good without hurting, hurting your overall offense all that much. But I think this year shows how valuable running backs still can be. Just tell me that Aaron Jones didn't make a huge difference to this team. That when he was on the field and healthy, the Packers weren't a markedly different team than when he was off the field or just not as healthy. This is the ultimate counter evidence to the running backs don't matter sort of data trend. You had an aging running back in Green Bay making a huge difference, especially on the ground. I don't think you could really argue that five straight 100-yard games for Aaron Jones didn't help the Packers, even if the the overall opinion on running backs is that generally when they're producing, it's because you're winning. It's not driving you to win. 
that just didn't seem to be the case with how Aaron Jones was producing in 2023. Looking at this running back group broadly, I kind of have weird feelings about the room because in aggregate, I do feel good about this position, but I also have big questions about almost everyone specifically in 2023 and going forward into 2024. But as far as 2023 goes, we can we can leave 2024 aside here for a second. I think this position group was exactly what they needed when the Packers needed it the most. Getting specific now on the individual players, talk about the guys who we qualify as cameo players, guys that played fewer than 100 snaps. We've got three of them on this year's team. James Robinson with four snaps, Kenyon Drake with five snaps, and Emmanuel Wilson with 36 snaps. Setting aside Robinson and Drake, who are mainly practice squad players this year, nine snaps between them. What are you going to do analytics-wise or analysis-wise on nine snaps? Uh, If they were good, they would have played more. Just put it that way. Wilson, I think, would have broken our 100-snap threshold, but for his dislocated shoulder, I think that he is going to get another crack at making the roster in 2024, a real realistic shot there of, of making the roster, but I do think the Packers are probably going to give him some fairly stiff competition, so probably some uphill sledding for Wilson heading into next season. Other than that, I don't really have anything to add about any of these guys other than one interesting tidbit here. Between Robinson and Drake, and A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. The Packers had four guys on their 53-man roster at points this year who each had rushed for more than 800 yards in an NFL season, but none of them broke that threshold this year. That's a lot of running back productivity on your roster that just, for a variety of different reasons, whether it's age or injuries or different opportunities or whatever, just didn't come through in the, the counting stats the way that we've seen it before. Now, Adding an asterisk to my own thing there, counting playoffs, Aaron Jones did break 800 yards, but we don't count playoff stats because you want everybody on a level playing field, so we just put those down under his postseason stats. So still, he did break it if you count all of the games that he played, but not everybody has the same amount of games, so we don't look at it that way. In terms of the guys who did break 100 snaps, we'll start with Patrick Taylor. He played 226 snaps on offense. 109 snaps on special teams this year, primarily on kickoff return. I think 61 of his 109 snaps came on kickoff return. He was also active on the punt and punt return teams. Box score stats-wise, 32 carries, 141 yards, 11 catches, 49 yards, career highs across the board. Put up three explosive plays for the Packers in 2023. All came in weeks 13 and 14. Week 13, a win over the Chiefs. Week 14, the loss to the Giants. Only made one prediction as far as Taylor goes this year. I thought he would make the initial 53-man roster as their third running back. He did. Minor asterisk there. The Packers surprisingly carried four running backs on their initial 53-man roster. Emmanuel Wilson made it as well, but Taylor got first crack there, so he was their third running back. Tough season for Taylor overall. Not because of anything he did. He just got caught up in the gears of roster machinations and stuff like that. As you know by now, you can get promoted and demoted from the the practice squad a whole bunch of times. The Packers maxed out their practice squad elevations for him, signed him for a game, then cut him. He did not return to the practice squad initially. He went to New England, then came back to Green Bay after they got hit hard by a whole bunch of injuries. Now, presumably, he's going to be gone again for right now. But as far as what he did on the field, I think a pro's pro. He did everything that was asked of him and then some. And the Packers also showed you what you thought, what they thought of him. He was taking a lot of third down and two minutes and 
red zone snaps from A.J. Dillon. When the Packers needed somebody they knew was going to be a plus player on the field, or at least not a negative, they turned to Patrick Taylor and not A.J. Dillon when Aaron Jones was banged up. So did Taylor meet expectations in 2023? I would have to say yes. Expectations were low, but he met them and then some. He doesn't quite hit the fun third running back level for me. He's not that interesting as a player, but he's a workhorse. He does exactly what he's asked, and he adds some value on special teams there too. There's a lot to like about Patrick Taylor. His 2024 outlook, probably not all that good though, because the Packers are surely looking to upgrade their running back depth chart. A lot of question marks as far as their running back group goes right now. Where does he fall in that conversation? If you're making the case, you've got Aaron Jones probably coming back. Uh, It seems fairly likely at this point. You've got Emmanuel Wilson, who does a lot of the things that Taylor does and and is probably a better offensive player than Taylor does. He doesn't add the same value on special teams, but he, he does, I think, bring more to the table on offense than Taylor does. Then you're probably looking at a draft pick in there at some point. And then further undrafted free agents with who are younger, potentially more athletic, potentially more versatile than Taylor. It's hard to see a future where he's really a, a big part of the Packers running back conversation in 2024. But we we wrote him off once already, and he came back to somewhat save the day down the stretch in 2023. He he could be back. It wouldn't be that that surprising. Next up is Aaron Jones, who only played 128 snaps more than Patrick Taylor. 354 snaps for Aaron Jones in 2023. Pretty, uh, by his standards, lackluster stats this past year. 142 carries, lowest since 2018. 656 yards, lowest since 2017. Three total touchdowns, lowest ever. Advanced numbers-wise, we'll only focus on his explosive plays, but he had 11 His lowest since 2017 also had 11 that year. I predicted he would break 1,000 yards again this year. He did not, but a bit of an asterisk there because if you you took his 2023 pace and prorated it over a 17-game season, he just breaks 1,000 yards. He was on pace and probably would have been a lot closer had he not been snap-restricted for most of the season. And that kind of is the rub on Jones in 2023 because I think this is the kind of year where – However long from now when you're sitting down talking with your buddies about football and about um, how Aaron Jones played this year, if you have specific talks like that with your friends, I don't. That may may be a reason that I don't have an opportunity to have a lot of these discussions. Just sitting there in 2032 and being like, hey, you remember Aaron Jones' 2023 season? He was probably better than people remember, even if his stats don't look all good, all that good. And then my friends get up and walk out of the room. Um, But... That point notwithstanding, you are probably going to have to adjust your memory on his 2023 season a little bit when you see the box score pop up a couple of years from now. The fact is he just wasn't healthy for most of the season, which is both a point in his favor and a bit of a knock on Aaron Jones. He has never been the healthiest running back in the world. He's a small guy, so he gets dinged up a little bit from time to time, and we saw that a little bit in, not a little bit, a lot in 2023. But he also finished this year spectacularly five straight 100-yard games. I couldn't find another instance of that in Packers history. There may be another one out there uh, from somebody that I just just don't know about, but if there is, there aren't a lot of them. Um, But just a a great, great finish to the season when the Packers really needed a boost there down the stretch. It's easy to get caught up, I think, in the emotion of the playoffs. I certainly uh, did quite a bit there. Uh, But after the way that the Packers finished, uh, you know, making the playoffs, 
beating the Cowboys there. It was it was an uncertain thing there with three games to go in the regular season. The Packers needed a lot of help, and here comes Aaron Jones ready to go uh, and really just opens it up and, and leaves everything out there. He finished really, really strong, especially after a knee injury against the Chargers. This all adds to uh, leads to kind of a tricky question for Jones. Did he meet our expectations in 2023? I think it's a trickier question than I than I want to say immediately because my knee jerk answer is an instant yes, but there's a part of me that wants to push back a little bit because he was injured a lot. There were games where he was where he was healthy, and then there was were games where he was limited, and then there was games he just wasn't out there, just was not on the field a whole lot in in 2023. But I think winning out for me is the fact that he was so important when he was on the field. And even more important in some ways when he was off it as well. I mean, we all saw what he did against the Bears and then down the stretch the last five games of the season, including playoffs there. But look at his off-field impact, something that I think is overrated a lot. Uh, but you also got to listen to the guys on the field. I mean, there's a, a lot of, I think, outside-looking-in perspectives as fans where we want guys to be an impact off the field. We want them to be this mentor role to young players. And I think that happens a lot less than we'd like it to as fans because we uh, there just aren't that many close relationships that are like what Aaron Jones seems to have with his Packers teammates. So it's a, it's a business for a lot of guys. And even even if they are close friends, there aren't a lot of guys that are around as long as Jones is who can have that kind of impact, who are that kind of person where they're going to make that sort of meaningful long-term impact off the field. But if you listen to the Packers players, everybody has good things to say about Aaron Jones. Jordan Love, uh, Romeo Dobbs, Jaden Reed, all of the young guys on this Packers team look up to Aaron Jones as a leader figure. And that matters. That that does matter. It It may not be quantifiable. It may just be a soft skill th- sort of thing. It may be kind of woo-woo, like uh, the the value, the intangible value of leadership and stuff like that. All that is true. It, it is an intangible, but it comes up again and again and again and again with Aaron Jones. People talking about how much he means to them and, and what he does leadership-wise on the field. So even if running backs don't matter, teammates do. And Aaron Jones seems, by all accounts, to be a phenomenal teammate. Looking ahead to 2024, I think Jones' outlook is a lot less murky than it was, say, I don't know, four months ago at this point. Aaron Jones gets banged up against the Chargers, and we're talking about it being the end of his time with the Packers. It looked really bad when he got hurt, by the way. So I think any reactions in the moment were completely justified. But Brian Gutekunst sure seems to want him back. And if we're if we're making bets, I'd be a lot more willing to bet on him coming back than the alternative. So feels like 2024 is another shot for Aaron Jones in terms of where he fits in Packers history at this point. It's probably pretty set. There's really no chance. Well, there's a very slight, slight chance, but not a very good chance that he catches uh, Jim Taylor and then Aaron jo- or Amon Green for the, the top two spots in, in rushing in Packers history. He's probably set at third place. He would need a couple more really, really good seasons to catch Jim Taylor and Amon Green. But you never know with Aaron Jones at this point. 
still, I think he's going to go down as as one of the the great running backs in Packers history, and and I think everybody is seeing why here at the end of 2023, whatever he does in 2024 might just be be gravy at this point. Finally, A.J. Uh, Dillon, 494 snaps on offense, 24 on special teams. All 24 of his special team snaps came on kick returns. And, of course, as we, we wrap that up with Dillon there, we note that no Packers running back broke 500 snaps on offense in the regular season. That's just where this position group was in 2023. Box score stats, again, a lot of career lows here for, for Dylan. 178 carries, 613 yards, two touchdowns, lowest since 2020 in all those categories when he was basically redshirted as a rookie. So 2020 hardly counts for him. 22 catches, 223 yards, no touchdowns. That is the lowest, second lowest, and lowest figures of his career. He played in 15 games this year. It's really closer to 13 games in all honesty because there were two where he only played 12 games after he or 12 snaps after he broke his thumb there late in the season. He was inactive for both both postseason games. Uh, incidentally, that's one of the reasons that I don't like to count postseason games in in stats. Just the decisions you make with your roster are a little bit different in the postseason and I think Dylan might have been active if those have been regular season games, but since you're just trying to maximize your roster as much as possible, they just couldn't have him be out there. Uh, ended up with 10 explosive plays this year. That was fifth on the team. He did have seven uh, in the weeks from week seven to week 12, so that's six straight games, not too shabby. Prediction-wise, we did pretty good on A.J. Dillon this year. Predicted that he'd be under 850 yards. That turned out to be correct. Predicted he would decrease his drop total. That, if you don't recall, was a big issue for him last year. He had five last year, according to Pro Football Focus. That dropped to just one this year, so he did improve there. We were incorrect on his touchdown total. Predicted he'd have five or more rushing touchdowns. Did not get to that number this year. As I think about his overall 2023, I think it's hard to separate my feelings about what he did for for 2023 with basically just how I feel about his career as a whole. And I actually think that's fine because 2023 was was very clearly set up to be kind of a referendum on his career to this point. And he got every opportunity to change the narrative on his career because Aaron Jones was out a bunch and that was the opportunity for Dylan to take over and he just didn't. And I never have really felt like we've gotten the as advertised A.J. Dillon experience. He was supposed to be this big, powerful back who had these incredible testing numbers, who was going to show his athleticism despite being uh, well over 230 pounds. It It just has never been there. And even during this year's run that we mentioned where he had all those explosive plays, it still worked out to just 266 yards on 70 carries. Not incredible numbers. No touchdowns in that span either. 15 catches for 139 yards in that span too. Really just a few big plays. He just did not deliver on the huge opportunity he had with Aaron Jones out this year and really has never been a reliable threat ever. Kind of a microcosm this year. Look at this stat. He had more games this year where he rushed for an average of three yards per carry or less on double-digit carries than ones where he ran for four yards or more per carry on double-digit carries. So it was more likely this year that when you fed A.J. Dillon the ball a bunch, he was going to be averaging less than three yards per than he would be averaging more than four yards per. Just was not a very productive player for the Packers in a year where he really needed it and the Packers needed it from him too. 
it's really hard to say that he met any kind of expectations this year. I don't even know what the expectations are for A.J. Dillon at this point. Just kind of be a solid number two back. He was in, in spurts at times, but here we are again trying to justify A.J. Dillon's 2023, and I think that that tells you all you really need to know, that you have to sit here and really parse the stats to be like, well, in these games he was pretty good, in these games maybe the offensive line wasn't what it could have been, in these games he was just a little bit limited by whatever, a broken thumb, a hurt ankle, something like that. It's just, I think we just need to move past that. He just has not been what he should have been as a second round pick. And that 2020 draft just is not, is not the draft that you hope for when the Packers are in, in a title window. Now we have said that from the get go, that if Jordan Love was good, you know, it's kind of a wash. And that, that is kind of true because Love being good now sets the Packers up for however long he is, he continues to be a good quarterback But I think we also have to point out that the Packers got essentially nothing from their 2020 and 2021 draft classes in a window where they were competing for titles. Like you can say that they, you know, maybe a rookie doesn't make that big of a difference, but how about however many draft picks it was and no impact players for that two-year window? Like I know rookies aren't going to have that big of an impact, but they got practically nothing from those classes when they needed them to come in and have an impact right away. And, you know, maybe you shouldn't count on rookies to have a big impact, but I think the 2023 class kind of puts to rest the notion that they can't because the Packers had a bunch of rookies in this class that had a big, big impact. As far as where this goes for Dylan in 2024, I am not optimistic, but I think there is a future where he's back with the Packers. Resigning AJ Dillon probably at a, a pretty affordable deal, considering what he produced in 2023, is little more than hedging your bets against getting a guy in the draft. I don't think you're really looking for AJ Dillon to suddenly in year five become the guy that you hoped he would be. Even the guy that he is to this point, I, I don't. It's it's a hard sell to resign him, but. Even if I wouldn't do it, it would not surprise me just if they wanted to hedge a little bit and say, look, we know this guy knows the offense. He can do all the things that we want him to do. Even if it's not perfect, we'll just stick with him for one more season while we get whoever we get in the draft. And in case we don't, at least we've got A.J. Dillon that we can try again in 2024. Again, I wouldn't do that, but it wouldn't surprise me. They've kept guys around a year past their you know, the date when you should move on anyway. Um, Kevin King is probably the best example of that. Uh, They re-signed him after the 2020 season and just said, hey, let's have one more year of that. And it turned out to to not be great again. Uh, But even if Dylan isn't the disappointing pick that Kevin King was, um, I think there's a lot of parallels there. And you're probably just talking yourself into it and hedging your bets a little bit if you decide to bring him back. So overall, I think a good 2023 for these running backs, even if 2024 is not a sure thing for any of these guys, um, varying degrees of it, I think you can still look back on their 2023 season as a good effort overall and really one that demonstrates the value of having a good running back. 
So I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I'd appreciate it even more if you'd take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.